Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys Discussing Software. This is episode 10 and my name is Tomas O'Leary and today we're going to talk about the impact of mega vendors and the restrictions they put on procurement. I'm joined as usual on this Two Guys Discussing Software program by my very good friend and colleague Brendan Walsh and we're not actually physically looking at each other this week. I feel Feel very sad, Brendan. Are you are you there? Are we? I'm are here. We, I'm um, here. And I yeah. was just I was just about to remind you that it was two Irish guys, but uh, because I can't see you, uh, but it's good to it's good to talk to you, Tomas. How are things? We're doing really well. I I I kind of missed your company, the physical part of seeing you, because it's good. This is going to be a little tricky to run our first podcast remotely, which is, I guess, in the current circumstances with coronavirus being so publicly out there. Uh, maybe this is how podcasts will happen in, the, in over the next number of months if we uh, if there's some of those restrictions that come in. We're uh, how are you doing? You're 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 doing okay? I'm very good. Yeah, I'm surviving. Been pretty busy here. Uh, surviving the really bad weather. I don't know if you've been traveling a bit. I've been traveling a bit, but uh, yeah, not too bad. Very busy. Trying to keep up with some of the news reel that's going on for the podcast. But yeah, in good in good form. In good form. Definitely watching the coronavirus and seeing what the impact of that is. My folks are actually in a coronavirus area at the moment in Tenerife, so they're just talking to them earlier on and uh, hoping they get back safe. Because somebody apparently in Italy is, has taken down a hotel and there's a thousand people confined. They're two blocks away, so very much top of mind in our households. Wow, okay, okay. Well, listen, we're going to be joined. You remember Richard Beaumont, who we met in Frankfurt last year and in Amsterdam. We're going to have a great chat with him. He's a senior vice president of procurement in the co-op group in the UK and Rolls-Royce, amongst many other organizations. So we're really, really excited about talk, talking to him later on. But when we actually finished the last podcast, Brendan, the biggest news in our world, in the world of, I mean, obviously this is the mega vendor software world, but in the, this very specific one that you and I live in, which is mostly the IBM world, the biggest news in eight years came out of IBM the day we launched the last podcast. Mm -hmm. And that was Ginny Ramity leaving IBM. It's, it's just, just quite astonishing. It was one of those, it was one of those, where were you when moments, you know? And, and, I, I, and I remember where I was because you texted me that, that evening saying, how did we miss this on our podcast? <laughs> and I said, well, we yeah. missed it because actually we had finished recording the podcast. I think she was in, where was she in Davos at the time or something like that? She had just come back from Davos, but we have, we have been doing uh, nine of these podcasts and we've been trying <laughs> to predict her demise. <laughs> and the day we record and the day we publish is, is, is the day she steps down. Eight, eight years. Can you believe that? Eight years ago, she took over from Sam Palisano. It, it, it really is quite incredible. You're the man with the numbers. I mean, give, give me some of the highlights there. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, actually, her performance over the past uh, eight years. And, you know, you can scour the web trying to find you know, very specific positives, right? And you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of noise about strategy and direction and so forth, but but it's very hard to find, you know, some, some specifics. But there are a few specifics that I think are quite uh, stark. So the first one is, because I like to talk about stocks and shares, so there has been a 25% drop in the share, the IBM share price since she took over. So. When she took over in 2000, uh, late 2012, the share price stood at about $193 per share. And today it's kind of hovering around $145 per 
it was a bit lower than that. It was about 137 bucks actually before she stepped down, and it's had a, it's had a bit of a bounce since then. So you can see what the market thinks of that. Obviously, they think it's positive news. More starkly, though, I mean, the revenue back in 2012 was over 100 billion, 104, 105 billion in 2012, and uh, at the end of 2019, so they they announced their results there. Actually, just the day before, our, I think before our last podcast. And it was down to 77 billion in 2019. So that's a so along with the 25 percent reduction of the share price, there's a 25 billion drop in annual revenue. But, so, but hang on, hang on, hang on, Brenda. She she bought nearly 60 companies in that period. How do you lose 30 billion dollars in revenue if you buy so many companies? 50. She was like something. It ranges between 56, 57 to 60 companies over that period. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, we know some of the companies, and, and, and I'm not sure how strategic they were in terms of the long-term vision of the company to become, uh, you know, more ingrained in in AI and, and blockchain and cloud and cognitive. But uh, yeah, it's incredible. You could buy you could actually when you're buying fifty two companies, you're actually buying the associated revenue as well. So you would have thought the revenue should go up, right? Um, and even having spent uh, the, with the largest acquisition ever, I think 34 billion for Red Hat, uh, even buying the Red Hat revenues, which which would be performing well because Red Hat were, bought, were doing well before IBM bought them, they still were down 25 billion in revenue. So um, yeah, it's quite remarkable. And it's it's fraught with kind of bad news. I mean, like, it's really hard to find anything you know positive. I mean, there was, there was one period, which is around the period actually I joined you in, 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 in Origina, and there was on the back of about 22 consecutive quarters of revenue decline, which uh, tail-ended kind of 2017. So 22 consecutive quarters of revenue decline. Yeah, and she she was rewarded for that. Actually, she got a sixty yeah sixty eight percent I think it was increase in her overall uh, package in two thousand and sixteen to take it to something like thirty seven million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you mentioned the share price down twenty six percent. I was looking at some numbers myself, and S and P in the same period is up one hundred and sixty percent. The average, that's the average. The tech average is even higher, but the average across the whole S and P. So it's it's quite incredible that you'd be paid so much money for really so little, and you can't just help thinking it. It's kind of good riddance, really. Unfortunately, um, she's staying on as chairman for another yeah, year. Yeah, there was some good, there was some good news though. There was some good news we've we've forgotten about, which which actually was good news for Ginny. Uh, it wasn't actually good news for the shareholders, but yeah, she she herself collected about 137 million dollars in compensation over the first seven years of her tenure. So that's quite positive, on a personal note. So I'd say well done, Ginny, on that. I like I like your positivity. There was actually a Facebook. There's a Facebook group. I don't know if you know it. The the Watching IBM group, um, and they did a kind of a a, 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 a their own survey. Everybody seemed very happy with the change. Now, I'd say those that were still working for IBM were obviously having to say that from the from the office, they may they may well have given a different view because, as you know, she scrapped the ability for IBMers to work remotely. Anyone who is still with IBM would have been doing it from the office, so may have had to given given a different answer. But most people are really happy with it. And our yeah. and our, the new CEO, Arvind Krishna, he's not really outside of IBM. He's not really very well known at all. I mean, I know I heard he he was the Red Hat man. Is that right? Yeah, so he was the architect, uh, you know, although I think she was the architect behind many of the 52 other acquisitions. Uh, yeah, he seems to be the real man behind the Red Hat deal. 
And that would make sense given his, his area, specific area of focus and expertise. Unlike Jenny, I mean, Jenny was a you know, former engineer for a couple of years when she joined IBM in, in the first few years, but then she kind of re- really you know, drove sales and marketing and strategy. So she's more of a salesperson, but he's more of an engineering type. And I think, uh, and so you know, a different type of personality. He was born in India. Uh, obviously, he's a, an Indian American. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was reputed that Jim Whitehurst, uh, who, who was the CEO of Red Hat, might actually be in line for the throne. But then, yeah, he got the top job and uh, very much supported by Ginny Romney, I think, uh, according to what I, I hear. So, yeah, I don't know a huge amount about him, but a very different personality. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, maybe it's maybe it'll be a positive thing. Yeah, well, maybe it's a quick thing of any, anything's better. But what's going to happen, really? I mean, I mean that's the thing. All the predictions we knew, we obviously know the share price jumped. What's going to happen to the, to the to IBM? It's got over three hundred thousand employees. I mean, I've seen speculation out there. People are talking about maybe the sale of uh, global business system services, the GBS business, the GTS business, which is their technology services and technology business, which includes the mainframe. I think uh, revenue bundled yeah, in there yeah. i mean there's all sorts of rumors going around they're going to break the company up i mean these have been going around for for for, for a long time now but really it's i mean let's say we we know obviously in the software space there's been a number of companies that they've sold off they've sold off some of their assets to hcl as we know last year and many and a number of other companies last year on the software side but really nothing of any major volume has gone for quite some time. I think the last major deal was obviously 2004 when they sold the the PC business to Lenovo. They've have sold their chip making business to Global Foundries, but I think that actually they had to hand over revenue to get rid of that one. So that's but there's been no major sale of any part of their business for for quite some uh, time. And really, that probably is what they need to do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they've been selling off bits of legacy, as we know. We've talked about it on other shows. You know, not, nothing kind of majorly impactful. Um, but the thing is, you know, if, 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 if they're going through this period of change and they do sell off some of those kind of major business lines like Dolby Business or uh, GBS, uh, that's going to have a downward impact on revenue as well. So, you know, they're going to continue, I think, to kind of to, to lose revenue from, from their install base. If they sell off another piece of the business, uh, then that will have an impact on their overall revenue. Um, but maybe that's what they need to do if they're, if they're really going to focus and transform the company and become a, a leader in cloud. I mean, they've got a long way to come. They're like probably in fifth fifth or sixth place when it comes to infrastructure as a service uh, behind Alphabet and behind Microsoft, Azure, etc. And then they've got, they probably really need to, need to, to, to restructure. And I, I think you're right. They probably need to sell off, uh, break up the company a little bit. So we should see, maybe we'll see some dramatic moves. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see, and I think Arvin has a, a very interesting job ahead of him. I wonder how IBM clients are thinking about this, and particularly those on the procurement side. There'll be lots of opportunities. You might talk to Richard about that later on, actually. What sort of opportunities yeah, yeah, for sure. could that could that generate for IBM customers? There was a few, there were a few of the things that happened. I mean, I know for us that was kind of the main main news that we were talking about for the best part of a week or two there for, when, when the news came out. I mean, Larry Ellison's been in the news again. Did you hear about him? And and is as he's doing a big fundraiser for Trump, and apparently Twitter went crazy. Twitter went crazy, and his own staff, for the first time ever, walked out. I mean, we've we've seen walkouts in in Google, we've seen walkouts in some other organizations, but never seen a walkout in Oracle before. I mean, Larry runs that business with an iron 
well actually I think it's a, I think it's a samurai sword is what he <laughs> runs it with but an iron fist or iron something but he is he, yeah his, his staff are walking out on him uh, yeah I mean they even went so far to make the point uh, because they were about probably afraid of what might happen some of the staff took vacation time or you know so that they wouldn't get caught logging off on the job so to speak so yeah quite 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 the backlash i mean i think the code of the the article code of ethics books book was uh our manual was taken out and kind of brandished around the place because people felt that it was a violation of you know some of the article principles that's what people were standing for it was kind of you know standing up for some of the principles that the company seemingly um you know has documented internally so that's kind of what it was about but yeah pretty interesting uh can't imagine larry was too happy yeah, no. Well, he, apparently, the people people started picking up on on a, on a previous New Yorker magazine piece about Larry when he wanted to live forever, and his three hundred and seventy million dollars he invested into aging research. And I saw a great requote of a quote he made. Uh, uh, his quote was, "Death has never made any sense to me," <laughs> according to Larry. Uh, yes, and yeah. how can a person be there and then just vanish? Well. I think you probably could say the same thing about some of their contracts and the links to their contracts. Uh, that they have a tendency to just be there one moment, these hot links, and then vanish. Oh, yeah, yeah. 404. <laughs> <laughs> no longer there. Link up, found. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, yeah, just, yeah. they just move it to a different location, you know. That's, but, uh, yeah, that's a pretty philosophical kind of question. I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, my theologian, theologian friends, uh, see what they say about that. But... Yeah, he's, he's uh, yeah, interesting man. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. tricks that I mean, they're the sort of tricks that they do. I mean, the other piece that piece of news that was out in the last couple of weeks was this the the, the case that Google and Oracle have been running for about ten years now. This is around the Android and the use of software interfaces, basically Java and APIs around that in Android, and Oracle's desire to have to extend copyright restrictions around that. Now, our friends IBM and indeed Microsoft. Kind of bandied with Google to on the on the on the side of Google, whereas Oracle is actually trying to take them on one by one. So it looks like there's a real divide here in the industry. But again, it's back to this whole. I mean, we're bringing this, going to bring this back to the topic of restrictions because we're going to just pick up on Richard now in a minute. But it really, is the restrictions we're seeing that big mega vendors there's it, there's always an angle, isn't there? You know, there's always an angle, isn't yeah. that right? Yeah, there is. Yeah, and and uh, you know. Oracle seem to be at the forefront of it at the moment as well. I mean, there's. Uh, uh, I was reading recently about the, the the City of Sunrise Firefighters Pension Fund, um, and uh, they're on their third complaint against Oracle for de- you know guess what deliberately inflating its cloud revenue uh, to deceive investors. So uh, basically, what they're doing is is they're they're going to their customers uh, with their various cloud offerings. Um, which, in fact, insiders and staffers would actually say are, are somewhat defect-ridden, but that's kind of another point. But it's basically saying that they go into their clients and they threaten their customers with expensive audits unless they agree to use their product, unless they agree to use their, their the Oracle cloud software. So that you know, so that's kind of one, that's one one sales tactic. It's interesting. Or the other thing they do is they offer their clients large discounts on their existing on-premise products if they accept short-term cloud contracts which so they want to basically inflate even in the short term the cloud revenue numbers to deceive investors it knowingly doing this when they when they realize that actually customers will then opt out and not renew after the initial short-term period is up so 
So the uh, yeah, the pension funds are going after the basis, saying they're deceiving them, they're deceiving their investors, and actually this, that there's some insider trading going on on the back of this. So yeah, so it's very much on topic uh, with today's discussion. Yeah, no, it's 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 nasty business. It's nasty business. I'm going to bring in our guest, Brendan. And he's he's he like me. He's he's not physically with us. Clearly, um, he's in a different geography completely. Richard Beaumont, welcome. I believe you're with us now. Is that correct? Uh, I, I'm certainly with you in spirit from the uh, far flung reaches of Vancouver, Canada, where I'm where I'm currently stuck. But that's a different story for another time. Very good, very good, Richard. Delighted to have you on our podcast, and really delighted to, with with to get you to give us some insights on your kind of specialization of procurement and your experiences of dealing with some of these mega vendors i hope you enjoyed our kind of our our little chat earlier about some of the big some of the bigger ones and in particular i'm sorry we had to spend so much time on on ibm but for us that was that was pretty big news that change in 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 ibm i mean i I don't know whether you know this but ibm traditionally up until Ginny ramsey would have required often their ceos to step down at the age of 60. And I think Ginny is 62, possibly 63. I think she's 62. So that's the first time it's gone past the age of 60. It probably creates, does it create an opportunity for, for procurement specialists? Does it, or is it, you know, Bill McDermott stepped down from SAP and it was business as usual? Or does it, does, is that an opportunity, do you think? Do, do you know what? I, 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 I often look at the sort of the goings on in large companies with a with a with a with a with a, a truly English raised eyebrow in the sense that what they seem to do at the top of the company bears no relation to to the experience of them. But there are just some things, and I think your example of you know dear old Microsoft and near death experiences, where you just think the way that companies behave at the top is really going to start to affect the way that other businesses are willing to work with them, but. It just seems that the amount of largesse that goes on and the amount of low performance, it kind of encourages me when I look at my end of year accounts that maybe I'm not doing so badly. Yeah. And do, do they do they operate like do they all operate the same way then? Are they kind of, you know, you meet one, you've met them all. I mean, there really is the mega vendors have a have a quite a reputation in the marketplace. I mean, obviously businesses rely very heavily on their technology. And the, business, the mega vendors themselves should rely on the revenue, but they seem to. It seems to be the power. No, in a normal scenario, you'd expect the the buyer has more of the power. In the right. mega vendor relationship, it, it seems that whole thing has been spun on its head. Is that not the case? You are completely right. Anybody who knows me will know of my deep seated love for Oracle. Um, and Oracle um, have, have made it their mission to turn it on their head, which is, which is basically they offer you a lovely product, you buy it, and once you're in, they're just going to beat you to death with a licensing agreement for eternity. And that just comes, doesn't even come with a smile. It just comes with an extraction of cash from your business. And, and it actually is truly annoying. The good news is that they're not all the same. Companies behave like people. And you know, if you meet a guy in the pub 
and they treat you decently, even if you don't quite get where they're coming from, you're going to have a beer with them. But if you meet a guy in the pub and he's just going to keep extracting money from you, it's never going to work. And for me, there are just some mega vendors that are the guys that extract the money. And there are some mega vendors who actually do behave like people. And if you have the right relationship, you get there. So it isn't one size fits all. Yeah, but 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 Richard, Brendan here, like, so you meet the guy in the pub, right? And and you're, you know, getting into a relationship with them. And I've been there. I've been the guy, you know, been the sales guy in the pub. And, you know, and, uh, you know, seems like a nice guy. And you go to the people buy off people scenario, even at the time when it's... And then, then it changes, you know, like it, it goes from being... Yeah, we've had a nice conversation. Hey, he was a nice guy, but then you're, but then you bought into the company, and then the company changes, and the nice guy goes away. Like, do people not see that coming? It just seems like it's very, you know, a tired thing. You know, like is it, is there something there that we could avoid? You know, in the future. As a procurement person, the biggest challenge isn't actually the guy in the pub and whether they're going to stick to what they've said or or not. It's the fact that for, you know, you've got 10 years of history in a business where other people in your organization have met other guys in the pub and they've done some business with them. So when you come into an organization and you're saying, okay, what is it that I, what is my relationship with any one of the mega vendors? You actually can't even put it all on a single piece of paper. You don't know what you've got. You don't know what you signed up to. You don't know what the contract is. You don't know what the terms are. And often the biggest fear factor for a procurement team and even for the stakeholders that buy this stuff is understanding even what they've got and what they got themselves into, not just with one guy, but with several guys. And do you know what? It's so scary. People just don't bother. They, they avoid it. They just pay mm. the renewal. Yeah, but, but, so, but then you've got yourself into a cycle, right? So what we're talking about today is you know, the, the restrictions, the mega vendor restrictions, but you know, having yeah. observed it then, so you've observed it, you realize, hey, this is not, you know, rosy. Um, we're not being treated particularly well. Um, it gets out into the market. You know, I go to lots of conferences. People talk about this all the time, about the mega vendors and yeah. the stranglehold and all these topics. I mean, it's it's even presented on stage. So are there yeah. just, are there no alternatives? I mean, are people not looking to the to the, to alternative markets to other providers rather than the big, you know, five or six vendors all the time. I mean, they continue to do the same. It's a sign of madness, isn't it? To continue to do the same thing over and over again. Um, wh- why don't organizations look to alternatives and to break that cycle? Do you know what? I think it's fear and I think it's knowledge. And, you know, if you take the common cycle, right, it is I, I have a bunch of stuff from a mega vendor. Um, I, I have sort of got an idea of what I've got but I'm not bang up to date and I certainly haven't got everything being asset managed correctly. I get some threatening letter from a mega vendor that says, right, well, it's time for you for us to come and check what you've got. And then there's, it's a bit like when you take your car to a garage, if you don't, if you don't understand mechanics and they start sucking through their teeth, then, you know, you're going to pay because you're worried about whether it's going to keep working. So the mega vendor says to you, well, look, we've had a look. There's a bit of non-compliance. It could cost a bit of money, but we can make it all go away if we just move you on to our next kind of agreement for moving this to the cloud or something else. And do you mm. know what? Rather than, rather than face up to it, because people don't have the knowledge and because they're worried about the risk of being either 
caught out or charge money, they'll just put the package through. It comes in a new shiny agreement and everything then looks good for the next six to 12 months. Mm. And you'll never break the cycle. What changes it is when you get someone who's prepared to say, I don't understand what I've got. I don't know how to talk to these guys. I don't know whether what they're offering me is good value or not. I need to go and get a third party opinion. And that's the bit that breaks the cycle. Isn't hmm. there a bit, um, Richard, that it's like playing a game of football without a referee, though? And the game starts fine. But once one of the players, one of the teams starts playing a little bit dirty, then without a referee on the pitch, the only hmm. way you either be bullied and get beaten yeah. up by the opposition or you, you play dirty yourself. And if you look at, you talked about the, the garage, at least in the, in, the, in, the, in the car maintenance world, there are certain rules and regulations. Um, yeah, in most industries, there are. There's absolutely no referee on the pitch at all. And I think what really is needed here personally is, is a bit of help. You need to put a referee on the pitch. Now, who puts a referee on the pitch? Well, you know, it is, it's the, it's, unfortunately, it's, it's a level of regulation in some shape or form. And we know in, you know, at the moment, it's been regulations being talked about in lots of areas, but absolutely some form of regulation would, should be very beneficial for procurement professionals and businesses. Would it not? Uh, oh, do you know what? Listen, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, if, if we think about the, you know, the, the EU decision, and I've, you'll know better than me when it was to allow the reselling of, of licenses, right? Mm. That even, even a year, two years, three years after that decision, there were still mega vendors who were denying the existence of that, that fundamental right for a company to sell on something that it had bought. And they would still tell you that, oh, you know, you couldn't, or it wasn't legit, or you couldn't transfer it. And so this idea of having a referee, I think, is a really good example, which is, you know, if the best person, you're talking about IBM. If, if I don't understand IBM licensing, the person that I want on the pitch helping to referee is someone who either used to sell or run IBM licensing, who's freelance, who I can get in and say, explain what they're doing to me. What is this? What, what, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? And to get proper advice. Because look, with the best one in the world, if if I don't do that, I'm never. I, I'm constantly going to get bullied on the pitch because look, I'm one person. They are a very large company, even if they're smaller than they were before their previous CEO got hold of them. Mm. So, so yeah, I, it's help. It's finding an expert who can sit down and say, "This is what you're really dealing with." Yeah, but you have to pay for that help. I mean, that referee is a. I mean, surely in most cases, the, ref the referee should be the market, should be have a level of refereeing going on in any event. And I think that's, I think that's, what, it's, that's what it's definitely missing. Because you look at some of the, the tricks and, and tactics that they, they take in. Look at Apple. There was only recently France competition and, and, and fraud watchdog found, um, uh, posed a penalty on Apple. Yeah for secretly slowing down older iPhones. Now, we all know this has been going on for a couple of years, yeah, and Apple have put their hand up and said they're going to not do it. But So some of these fines are for what happened maybe a little, little while ago. But still, it's a classic example of the sort of tricks that these guys 
that guys do. And I mean, we, we had the joke earlier about Larry Ellison's quote from a couple of years ago, where he said, how can a person be there and then just vanish? Well, how can the hot links to their, to their terms and conditions that were there when you first signed the contract be there and then be gone the next minute? I mean, there's, there's all these tricks that they do. It makes it very difficult, doesn't it, for, for procurement professionals to really do their job. Well, and I tell you what, it goes it goes to a whole new level because, look, if I'm if if I'm if I'm buying, think of an example. Let's say I'm buying coffee for my company, right? And I'm dealing with a international coffee firm, and and they start to behave this way. Terms and conditions go awry, pricing goes awry, customer service goes wrong, penalty clauses. Frankly, I can just ditch them. And I can go to another coffee seller that I like, that I've got all the behaviors that I admire, and I can see they've got the certificates for sustainability and environmental and, you know, fair trade coffee, and off we go. It's just mm. not like that with a mega vendor. If I'm locked in to an ERP system, I'm locked into an ERP system. I can't just turn around to the company and say, do you know what? I'm really fed up with Oracle. They're treating us like this. I think we should just start using SAP tomorrow. It's impossible. So, so with a mega vendor, not only have you got the bad behavior, but you've also got huge, huge supplier power that they really have got hold of you because trying to get out of them is impossible. So here's the deal. It's, you know, there has to be, and you know, we see it across quality, we see it across environmental, we see it across IT security compliance, gradually, gradually, the, the market starts to drive standards and compliance. And maybe that is something that we need that's on behavior and on customer protection. But you know what? I think the really big change, and it, it's, you mentioned the conversations at conferences, I think this is in the open now. People aren't afraid anymore to keep quiet about the fact that they've had a bad experience with a mega vendor. You and I were in Frankfurt together. You know, you could hear people saying, I have got this with this company and I'm having a bad time and it's costing us money. Now, those conversations weren't happening five years ago. And you've got to believe, you've got to believe that the combination of legislation rights for people plus customer feedback that says, actually, our reputation is going down the toilet here, that they would have to respond. My concern, they're, they're just in such a monopolistic market that their speed at which they might respond is going to be a lot slower than we would like, right? So, so Rick, Richard, on, on that point, I mean, the, the, one of the big reasons why at these conferences we hear people saying, uh, you know, they, they're, they're complaining or they're about the relationship or they're complaining about, you know, the cost is, I think it's audit. Right, so that so audit yeah. is a big issue, and I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of these, you know, the various places that you. So, like, they're very frustrating, you know, these audits. So, like, what, what, you know, can you give us some examples of some of the, you know, maybe the tactics or some of the more more frustrating things that you've seen from an audit point of view? Uh, yeah, delighted to. So, I was working with um, an insurance client. Uh, they uh, ran the licensing for software for uh, the, the, the organization globally. They were in the process of implementing a software asset management system. They had, in fact, 
a, a very large vendor helping them with that process. And the, uh, the, the, during the implementation, they, they quite rightly wrote to you know, their top 80% of software suppliers to say, we're, we're loading everything in, we want to check we're right, we want to share it. And you know what? Instead of behaving with, well, that's great, we, you know, we're, of course we're delighted. You know, if you're managing it well, it gives us a good chance. Nearly every single one of them took it as an opportunity to launch a an unexpected audit on the company. And what they did was they came in and they said, right, we know you're loading it. Uh, give us your results straight away of what you think you've got. And almost to a company, they turned around and said, well, we think that's wrong. You owe us money. You're using more. Oh, so. It's, you know, and that's just bad behavior. I mean, you know, just if we come back to our bloke in the pub, that's the bloke that you walk away from, right? Yeah. But they and, uh, that's crazy, yeah. isn't it? It's totally crazy. Madness. And I'm just wondering, at the end, when that happens, I mean, because procurement is not just about buying. It's about, you know, it's the broader relationship you have to have with the, with, 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 with the vendors. How does that, yeah, yeah. How does that create the... Uh, the the, the the relationship what's the relationship like after that happens how do you well, fix things do you know, well do you know what it's it's awful and the reason it's awful is because you've got you know it's like any relationship that's a triangle things never go well you've got your it guys you've got procurement and you've got the supplier and in that impromptu audit the supplier knows that they're going to kick off an argument between IT and procurement about whose fault it is that they're either using too much or they don't know what they've got or they don't know what they paid for it and they don't know where the, where the contract is. So inside the company, you start this wonderful bickering row and the only winner out of that is the, the mega vendor because they just say, look, when you calm down, here's the new agreement, just pay for it and off you go. And, and after that's been signed, the IT guys are sort of, they're annoyed because they got brought into the fight. They've got what they wanted and now they can just get back to what they're doing. Procurement are feeling really bruised because they had to raise it, they've had to deal with it and they've had to deal with all the unpleasantness. And now the IT guys don't like them for stirring the bucket. And they don't want to talk to the mega vendor because as far as they're concerned, the only reason it went wrong in the first place is because the mega vendor lobbed a grenade into the pot. How do you have a relationship with anybody that works after that has happened? It's, it's just never going to work, right? No, never going to work. Never going to work. Um, Richard, you've, you've had a lot of experience in procurement. You've had a lot of experience dealing with these guys. If you were to give one piece of advice to people who are either at an early stage of their career in procurement or early stage of dealing with some of these mega vendors and whatever in whatever shape or form they come in um and the mega vendors of today will be different to the mega vendors of tomorrow yeah. of course i think we all know that yeah. what would you what would you say uh, is there a one piece of wisdom you could you could give the give give somebody coming into the industry or who's in it and, and coming across these sort of problems today uh, dead easy talk to an expert and get advice all right it doesn't matter who you are you could be a one million company you could be a hundred billion dollar company you are going to have the same problem if you go head to head with a mega vendor because they've got you go and talk to to uh 
someone who can genuinely explain to you how that mega vendor works, how they structure their commercials, and what their product and licensing mean, and just take advice on how to do it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a get the chaperone to go to the ball because if you just go to the ball by yourself, you're probably not going to have the best dance. And one last question: Who is your favourite mega vendor? Uh, it's not Oracle. Uh, but do you know what? I quite like Microsoft. In, in my experience, they have, in, in, in many different previous roles, they have behaved properly. And by properly, I mean that the bloke in the pub who, even when they've got some bad news to deliver, will then continue to stay with you to help you get it sorted. Well, if, with their CEO, Satya Nadella, is a very hard man to find any juicy stuff on. So hence why we don't mention them at the beginning. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Richard, thank, thank you so much. Um, from, uh, we really have to wrap this up and, and thank you so much. Brendan, any, any final words? No, that was, that was great fun. I enjoyed that. And thanks, Richard, for your insights. Uh, I think people will find that very helpful. So take care of yourself and safe home. Yeah. And just Thanks a, so much, guys. Brilliant. Thank you, Richard. And just to remind everybody, before we finish our goodbyes, we have a episode 11 coming out on the 20th of March. It'll be about how the how we're going to deal with all this aging technology that's out there in business and society today and the, the, some of the challenges we have when, with recycling, repair. Um, we've got a very good uh, guest. We've got Umaima Hyder. She is a fellow... Uh, research fellow at the Enterprise Computing Research Lab in the United Kingdom. And just also to remind everybody that we have an excellent live webinar coming up the 3rd of March, and we will be running that at 11 a.m. GMT. Uh, and that will be about IBM software contracts and how to maximize your licenses and minimize your audit risk. Thank you very much. And thank you again, Brendan. I'm so sorry that we weren't together today. Not at all. It's been a pleasure as ever. And we'll see you soon as well. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.